So the atheist comes to you, oh, look at religion just causes wars. Well, as an atheist, I'd ask you what's wrong with war. If it's survival of the fittest, let the strong survive, what is the objective reasoning why war is wrong? See, according to your worldview, you cannot tell me why anything is wrong. You're merely left with your preference. And your preference is you don't like war. That's fine. I don't like it either. But it doesn't mean it's right or wrong, right? At this point, we're just arguing ice cream flavors. You like vanilla. I like chocolate. Which flavor is right? No, it's just a preference, right? Even if your claim was true and it's not, it would tell you nothing about God's existence other than uh, the truth of Christianity. You know, religion has caused more wars. Well, that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. Let's say that 100% of the wars were a reason uh, that is religion-based, and it's not. But let's say that it is. Well, that doesn't mean Christianity isn't true, and it doesn't mean that God isn't real, right? You're just still now rejecting to follow God for whatever reason, and we know the reason, and that is because it, there's moral accountability. Ray, back in the day, we had released a movie called 180, and you became like the 180 man. Mm. We released a movie called Genius. You became the genius man. No, the genius. The genius. No man. No man. And then we released a movie called The Fool. Mm. Were you trying to become humble again after being the genius? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's wise to, after Genius was released, I thought I'd better go back to what I really am. No. Why do I feel like we haven't started the program because Oscar was standing? Sorry, I was stretching. Uh, he can't oh. stand sitting. It's a good idea. I can't sit standing. <laughs> um, yeah, so today we're talking about... Oh, no, now they're both standing up. I think The Fool is fitting, actually, as a title for all of you and your life. <laughs> the Fool is... <laughs> For those who can't see, I was standing and now Mark is Isn't it stretching? weird though? Like it, the feeling I have with you guys standing, it makes me uneasy. <laughs> Can you imagine you're having a conversation with someone and they just kind of stand and just stand? Yeah. You're at dinner, Valentine's dinner, and Rachel just stands up for the rest of the meal. <laughs> it's because she respects me so much. That's what it is. Yeah. So today we're talking about the folly of atheism. Ray, Why, what, what is that that you're doing? Is that, you're trying, it sounds like a Muslim child. Or like you're trying to kill a cow. You don't see the beauty in what I just did. It's good when it what finished. What note was that? We may we're talking today about the oh, folly of atheism. Please start again. You have to be so humble to sing like that. There's something poetic about you that. can't hear. Oh, yourself start it sing. again, Ray. There's something about <laughs> no, no. It's there's something in the human heart that can't hear how bad we sing. I remember when I first sang, I recorded it, and it was just horrible. So when you hear this, you'll sound it's off key. To me, it's the opposite. I just <laughs> sound better and better every yeah. time I hear myself. Um, yeah, so atheism, foolishness, folly, Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Yeah. Ray, you, you really come across as a man obsessed with atheists and atheism. What's your problem? Well, <laughs> the epitome of stupidity is atheism. It's just so incredibly dumb. And the Irony or paradox is that they think they're intelligent when they really do believe that nothing created everything. You try and think of anything in life that's man-made that man didn't make. You think of everything, like belts, shoes, socks, pants, yeah. water. Everything had a maker, and then when it comes to the most incredible nature and creation around us, they say, oh, it just happened. There was no, no cause. It's just there. 
It's it's disingenuous. It's 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 insane. And yet we have people like Richard Dawkins who are obviously intelligent embracing such foolishness. It's just so crazy. Yeah, notice it says the fool has said in his heart there's no God. It doesn't say uh, the mesmerizing mathematician has said in his heart there's no God or the brilliant biologist. It doesn't say uh, the scholarly scientist. It says the fool. R.C. Sproul said, As the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, so the denial of God is at the height of foolishness. Boy, I like that. That's really good. That's really powerful. Ray, when you were back in New Zealand preaching in the square, how prevalent was atheism? What do you point into, Mark Spence? Ray, a picture of Ray preaching in the square. Uh, I love that Is he in there somewhere? Yeah. No, you know what's interesting about that picture, Oscar, is that was sold in souvenir shops in New Zealand, wasn't it, Dad? It was a part of a calendar. It was a part of a calendar. Yeah, yeah, really? Yearly, yearly yeah. calendar. Oh, how funny. Yeah, and when they took that picture for the city, Ray happened to be preaching wow. that day in the square. So good. Every day for 12 years, every weekday pretty much, right, Four, Ray? 14. For what? 14 years. 14? I've always heard 12. It might be 12. I think hunting, <laughs> I think hunting the beach is 14 years. That's yeah. Right. I um, took two years off. It was 14 years, but I took two years off. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. So, but... Yeah, so back in that day when you were preaching in the square in New Zealand, uh, how prevalent were atheist arguments? I mean, did you find most of the arguments were against Christianity? Or, That's a good question, actually. Yeah, I'm just Finally. curious to kind of to kind of know what what it was like back then. Has it changed? Because it, it, yeah, anyway, well, the accents. It hasn't different. changed. There's nothing new under the sun. It was exactly the same. I mean, the, but but the 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 um, the argumentation was the same. The amount. Of pushback from people who are openly professing to be atheists. Well, there's one guy, Steve Kennedy, that pushed back for two years every day. He was an atheist. In New and Zealand? He, yeah, yeah. He'd just yell and yell. And his whole agenda was to drown out the gospel, to suppress the truth. Doesn't matter if he was talking rubbish, he'd just overtalk me. It was very, very frustrating, especially when there was a good crowd wanting to hear what I had to say, and he'd drown me out. But there's really nothing new under the sun. They're always offended at religion. They'd always bring up hypocrisy and stuff like that rather than any concrete arguments about against the existence Did of you ever God. become friends with Steve like you did the wizard? <clears throat> no, or? but everybody else, Steve was vile towards me always. But one day he got so angry he spat out his false teeth and it really made my day. <laughs> <laughs> he did not. He did. He hit the ground and I just thought, this is wonderful. <laughs> How did he recoup from that? Yeah, well, he was very quick to scoop him up, just put him straight back in. With <laughs> did he really? <laughs> <laughs> so did he just fall off the face of the earth? Is it when you moved to the States? What, no, what severed the relationship? He was still going when I moved to the States. The he last was. day I was there, he stopped me talking to the crowd for the last time. Just, mm-hmm. it was just crazy. He was a homosexual atheist. Yeah. <clears throat> Mark, how did, how did a view that is so foolish become so much more respectable in the eyes of people these days? Because, I mean, there are a lot of people that have kind of come out of the closet, if you would, in terms of being atheist. And they seem to be respected. I think, of, let's take one, for example, Penn Jillette. Yeah. What, what's, what, what's brought things to this point? Well, there, there are uh, quite a few respectable people um, that are atheists. I, I read this uh, from uh, a poll. As early as 2016, the, statistic, the statistics show that one out of 10 Americans are atheists. One out of every 10. Within one year, went back to the same poll, uh, the same people that did the poll, and they said, the statistics had changed to one out of every four people in America. 
They claim to be an atheist, an agnostic, a free-thinking skeptic. They adhere to the tenets of the flying spaghetti monster. Uh, either way, what the, they just don't want to be accountable. That's it, right? They have suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness, as Romans 1, 19, 23 says, and they are not looking for God. They don't want God to be a part of uh, the school system, the political system, or uh, the grocery store shopping system, right? They, they don't want to be part of that. So there's this new category now when somebody says, you know, what religion are you? And they say, I, I'm a nunner. I'm a nun. Hmm. I mark the box that says none, none of the above. There's right. nothing above. That's right? an actual term that's Yeah, that's, used, that's, that's actually yeah, but the, the, it's the whole atheist thing is inflated. They add agnostics. Yeah. And they add the nuns that just say, I, I just don't go to church. And they say, oh, well, and they inflate the atheist thing. Atheism is very low. This it is, it's like 3%. Yeah, it's 3%. Yeah, and that's coming from a backslidden atheist. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, Oscar, you are our resident former atheist. <laughs> and um, I think about you a lot, actually. When, well, when thank I, you. Yeah. When I, uh, you hear about people who you know, are atheists or were atheists, and because I see how much God has transformed you. Hmm. I see your love for the Lord. And, I and think- it's a wonderful transformation. I, seriously, when I hear you talk theology, I'm thinking to myself, how long ago were you an atheist? 20, 21. When I, so how old are you now? 27. So 2021. Yeah. So it's just, it's a, like easy, it's just such a wonderful transformation. It's not like, oh, I used to be an atheist, but I'm a Christian. Let's, let's talk rugby, you know? Yeah. And it gives hope, I think, to people because I really think that Christians who have family members or close friends that are atheists can get that sense of there's no way they're going to change. Mm-hmm. There's no way they're going to turn from their adamant, confession that there is absolutely no God to really walking with God and loving God and serving God. And so, man, like, I know we've had you share your testimony before, but what was it finally for you, just as a reminder to the people listening as we get deeper into the subject, what was it finally for you that that just made that click where you realized, wow? Yeah, you know, I really... I think I think two things come to mind when that question is asked. Uh, one, I think that the Holy Spirit just determined that it was my time. Because when I got saved that night, I knew the gospel intellectually. I could repeat a proclamation of the gospel to anybody that I was having a conversation with. I probably could articulate the gospel better than most of your average proclaiming Christians because I was so curious about it because I was prepared and quote-unquote well-studied for it. And so no new information was presented to me the night that I got saved. It was, it was all stuff that I had heard before. The difference is that outside of my power, my heart softened and my eyes opened to the wonderful things of God's law. And he, he determined to save me in that moment. Mm. I would say that's one thing. And the second thing is, is the fervent prayers of my grandma. I've shared with you guys before. I remember um, when I was living with my grandma through high school and then uh, I, uh, well, yeah, through high school, I remember her, I would be leaving to go hang out with my friends and she'd be on her knees. We had, we lived in a one bedroom condo. She'd be on her knees in her, in her bedroom, which I had to walk by to get out the front door and she'd be crying. I mean, just, you can hear her sobbing. 
and praying in Spanish, and she was praying for my salvation. Oh, that must have been so moving for you. Yeah, was, did that ever affect a, you? No, it was not, <laughs> not at moving all. for me. A I little thought bit. to myself when I walked out the door, what a waste of time. Like her, I viewed it as her faith is causing her angst because mm. if she just stopped believing in that stuff, then she'd be fine with whatever it is that I'm doing. So mm. I'm sad to say I didn't even view it as her loving me. I saw it as her putting herself through trouble that she didn't need to go through. Is she still around? She still, she lives with me now. Wow. Yeah. Um, so my grandma, the point that I want to make here though is that she prayed for me from when I was in high school until I was an adult and God heard those prayers and God answered those prayers. And so mm. often when people talk about like, what do I do as I proclaim the gospel to my unsaved atheist family members, I tell them 80, 20, 80, 80% of your work is prayer. And 20% is conversation because I like God heard so many more prayers that my grandma had towards him about me than I heard proclamations of the gospel. It took one of those and it took years and years of my grandma being faithful on her knees for my salvation. And uh, man, prayer, prayer is a powerful tool. Yeah. Wow. Boy, if we could grip that, we'd pray more, wouldn't we? Yeah. Mm. Oh, big time. You know, to think that God condescends to really listen to us. And somehow in his sovereignty, use our prayers. It, it, it's beyond me. It's so hard to comprehend. But every night for a long time, I've prayed for 10 high profile, profile atheists. Yeah. Pendulet, Lawrence Krauss, yeah, Richard Dawkins. On my list too. Pendulet, Lawrence Krauss, Richard Dawkins, David Silverman, Jacqueline Glenn, Seth Andrews, Aaron Ra, Matt Delahunte, Emmett Metner, and Sam Harris. Wow, and I just plead with God for their salvation. Why would I pray for them when there's so many other races? Because they're so high pro- high profile. Yeah, you know, for them to come out publicly and say I was wrong, mm. you know, you need to listen to the gospel could uh, be so powerful. Add Bill Maher and Ricky Gervais. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 12. I do things in 10, Mark. You know that. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you eight more. Don't mess with <laughs> Give them 20. Give me 100. So, guys, what I'd like to do is I'd like to throw out okay. some, of the, uh, <laughs> some of the arguments that atheists like to throw out for the reasons that they are atheists. And, and I, I want to hear from you guys on you this. You know, religion so, has caused more wars than anything else. Okay, let's start with that history. one. All right, Mark. So the atheist comes to you. Oh, look at Religion just causes wars. love to give things away we love to give things away and that's why we will do that every single day here on the living waters podcast that's right friends we're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form we are giving 10 believe it or not 10 different people each week Goodies from Living Waters, a $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Well, as an atheist, I'd ask you what's wrong with war. Uh, if it's survival of the fittest, let the strong survive. Uh, what is the objective reasoning why war is wrong? See, according to your worldview, you cannot tell me why anything 
is wrong. You're merely left with your preference. And your preference is you don't like war. That's fine. I don't like it either. But it doesn't mean it's right or wrong, right? At this point, we're just arguing ice cream flavors. You like vanilla. I like chocolate. Which flavor is right? No, it's just a preference, right? Um, even if your claim was true and it's not, it would tell you nothing about God's existence other than uh, the truth of Christianity. You know, religion has caused more wars. Well, that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. Let's say that 100% of the wars were a reason uh, that is religion-based, and it's not. But let's say that it is. Well, that doesn't mean Christianity isn't true and doesn't mean that God isn't real, right? You're just still now rejecting to follow God for whatever reason, and we know the reason, and that is because it, there's moral accountability. So Ray talks about this with the Encyclopedia of Wars, right? The records show that religion is actually number two. Atheism is number one, right? Hmm. Lenin, Stalin, Mao, they exterminated more than 100 million people in the 20th century alone, right? So their institutionalized atheism led to an unprecedented loss of human life. So here's the picture. The fact of history is that the greatest evil has not come from zeal for God, but rather a conviction that there is no God Mm -hmm. to answer to. Well, yeah, Cyclopedia um, Britannica, Cyclopedia of Wars says that 6% of wars were caused by religion. That's 94% were more political. First World War, Second World War, Vietnam War, Korean War, all those wars were political, nothing to do with religion. And those that 6%, two-thirds were Islamic wars, nothing to do with the religion that says love your enemies, do good to those mm-hmm. that despitefully use you. Yeah. So it's an absolute fallacy. Yeah. You know, wars caused in the name of Christianity is contrary to what Christianity actually teaches. And so according to our worldview, Exodus 20 says, you shall not murder, right? We shall not take uh, innocent human lives. But I want you to bear in mind something. Uh, These same atheists that are against war and slaughtering the innocent are all pro-choice for the most part, Mm. right? So slaughtering the most uh, vulnerable amongst us, they have no problem with it whatsoever. So there's a hypocrisy attached to that, but also we just have to remember they're spiritual blinders. But by the grace of God, there go us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to an atheist, I feel like saying, well, wait a minute. Um, What's your problem with war if you laud the survival of the fittest foundation to evolution? Because that's the process that got you to where you're at now. Didn't an atheist just come out publicly and say that? I read some political leader says this with COVID, this is evolution doing its thing. Yes, there was someone recently. Yeah, yep, that's right. Yeah, and again, but that, like, what's wrong with that? The, the whole premise of why you are at the top of the chain is because... Survival of fittest. Yeah, I mean, and that re- that requires killing others. So what's wrong with nations that are stronger saying we're going to wipe out the weaker so we can have more resources and we can, you know, and our race can evolve and become greater, But right? survival of the fittest is ridiculous because nobody survives. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody dies. <laughs> yeah, right. And 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 so it's it's this notion that something is wrong when, like you're saying, Mark, they have no no foundation for that. And that's a bedfellow to the question, you know, well, in the Old Testament, God commanded genocide. Why would he do that? To which we say, one, Ray says, uh, did God do that? And if they say yes, well, then you're not an atheist, right? <laughs> um, but also, well, what, what what is wrong with that? What would be wrong if I were to concede to the fact that that is what happened? What would be wrong with God destroying a people group, 
You know, he's the arbiter of the law. He's the giver of the law. He's the creator of life. He's the ending of life. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. We find all of our beginning in him, and we will all find our end in him, either as an advocate or as a judge, which it will be, will be determined by you. So we look at it, what is wrong with wiping out a people group? Yeah. I mean, remember uh, Sam Harris in his book, A Letter to a Christian Nation, he said, if I could either uh, get rid of rape or religion, I would not hesitate to get rid of religion. Let's add part of that. I would not hesitate to get rid of the religious folks. Whatever it needs to mm-hmm. happen yeah. is what would happen for them to be happy and not to, for anybody to point their accusing fingers at them. Right. So. Mm. And, and Ray, uh, don't, you, don't you think it's a double standard in the sense that atheists will say in one breath, there's no such thing as absolute morality? Morality is relative. Absolutely. <laughs> but then they turn around... And they accuse God of being immoral. All right. you got to do is ask them <laughs> where, they, where they stand on certain issues. Is rape wrong? If they say no, say, well, I'm just going to call the police and warn your neighbors as to what you think about wow. rape. But what about pedophilia? Is that wrong? If they say no, that's not wrong because there's no absolute. So I'll also tell the police about you being a pedophile in your area or prom- you know, promoting pedophilia. So it's a trap. They paint themselves into a corner when they say there's no moral absolutes. Yeah, it's so funny when you guys. As anytime we start talking about some of these arguments, it's funny to, to as I think through it, because I remember a time where I, I regurgitated some of these claims, you know. And one of the big trans transitions for me as I became a Christian was realizing that all of the things that I desire in this world to be real and true, uh, and really, there's there's three things: the truth beauty and goodness that we all want from the world, those can only be found in one person, which is Jesus Christ. And so, um, and this is something that theologians and philosophers, Christian philosophers talk about often. Uh, the truth is, is reason and logic, right? Like the, the, everybody wants there to be a truth. And um, most atheists would say the only way you can come to knowing truth is through reason and logic. And of course, you ask them, well, how did you come to that conclusion? They would say through reason and logic, which is a circular argument. It doesn't work. And they might push back on us and say, well, the only reason why you come up with truth is through the Bible and the Bible says it's true. And so that is also circular. But I would disagree because the Bible is revelatory, Yes, which means God interjects into our world and reveals a truth that comes from outside of our own selves. Mm-hmm. It's much like what C.S. Lewis says when he says, if there is a God, you're not going to relate to him the way somebody on the first floor relates to somebody on the second floor. That's not how you find God. Instead, God would meet, need to reveal himself to you in the same way that the author Shakespeare would have to reveal himself to his character, Hamlet. He would have to write himself into the story. Mm-hmm. And so as it comes to truth claims, God has written himself. He has revealed himself into our story, and that's how we could know truth. Yeah. And then I, you know, I can go on about beauty and goodness. Beauty is, or I, yeah, beauty is something that we all desire. We've talked about this in regards to marriage before. When we were at the Reason Rally, I got into a conversation with an atheist and he had a wedding ring on. And I, anytime an atheist has a wedding ring on, I'm like, I know, that, I know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. And so I'll ask him, oh, you're, you're married. Yeah, I'm married. Been married 10 years. Love my wife. 
what do you mean you love your wife? What is love? Because from a purely rationalist perspective, there's no such thing as beauty. There's no such thing as love. What that atheist should say, we've said this before, is that when I look at my wife, synapses and neurons fire off in my brain telling me that I should procreate with her. (laughs) Stop saying you love your wife because love is something that's transcendent. But see, for us to desire love, we find its value and its worth and what it is in Jesus. And then you got to bring out the ring, what it stands for when you mention the wedding ring, it's eternal. Right. You know? Mm. Absolutely. And then lastly, goodness. Um, you know, you talk about morality and ethics. What is good for the world? We, we, we want to be able to say that, that, that morals and ethics are real, that they're tangible, that they're, they're objective, not subjective. Yeah. And the challenge for atheists is that they, they have no claim over an objective morality. All they can say in the end is that morals and ethics is what's best for the world. But that has left us with so much tragedy historically. Um, And the good news is that goodness, morals and ethics transcends anything that we can come up with on our own selves. You know, you look at, for example, um, the eradication of slavery in America There are people out there that argue that that was bad for the economics of America. And in some ways, it did send us into a civil war. But we didn't eradicate slavery because it was good for America. We eradicated slavery because it was wrong, right? Because morally and ethically, it was wrong. And we know that it's wrong because God says it's wrong. And so morals and ethics comes from a higher authority and is linked to truth and beauty. Yeah. And and we know that again the atheist knows these things in their heart. God has revealed right that reality through creation, uh, even his eternal attributes, you know, which are clearly seen. Um and his godhead. Ray, you you have had a real simple approach with atheists. I've been blown away at how many times I've seen an atheist kind of change their expression on their face like, "Oh yeah, creation creator" Painting, painter. It's so simple. But did you come up with that like a long time ago? A long time just... ago, but it's based on scripture um, where it says every building has a builder and the building of all things is God. Mm. So it's biblical to do that. But it's, it really it's so simple and people just widen their eyes because you hear so many people say there's no proof of God's existence. Well, um, Oscar was thinking, I was just thinking of the, a question I've asked a number of atheists. Could you please tell me, you're an atheist, what are the benefits of atheism? Mm. And they go real quiet, they can't think of any. <laughs> and then I have to tell them what the benefits are. The chief benefit is you can fornicate with a girlfriend and look at pornography without qualms of conscience because you've got rid of God and moral responsibility. Mm. That's the chief. And they say, am I right? And sometimes they'll nod and say, yeah, that's the chief benefit. Yeah. I've seen you also ask atheists, just generally speaking, it's because you want to indulge in your sin yeah, yeah. without any, any problem. And I asked an atheist something just recently that I was thrilled to answer. I said, did God make your brain? And he said, no. Argument done. You know what's funny is that it's it's such an offense to somebody who claims to be an atheist when you tell them that they're an atheist because they love their sin, right? Because they think of themselves as such thinkers. Why do we come to that conclusion? First and foremost, because the Bible tells us that. But here's the irony: 
is that atheists inside their own camp agree with the Bible. So Jonathan Haidt, atheist, wrote The Righteous Mind. And in it, he points out that we come to conclusions about reality, not based about the way that we think and what we know, but based off of what he says, our intuition, which is another word for our hearts or our loves. And so what he says is this, is that ultimately you come to a conclusion about ethics and morality and God and justice based on your loves, not the way you think. He says that it's wrong for us to say, this is an atheist talking, it's wrong for us to say that that I think, therefore I am. What he says is I love, therefore I am. So he points it out like this. He says that our hearts make choices for us and then our brains, our thinking is more like is more like a press secretary to a president, right? The president makes a choice about what he's doing. The job of the press secretary is to walk out and defend the choice that the president made against the volleys and the attacks. And so in the atheist's heart, his heart has determined to love his sin. And now his brain goes to work as a press secretary to defend himself around the world around him. So that, I mean, that's Jonathan Haidt. That is an atheist confessing that we make choices about what we believe based off of what we love, not what we know. Well, that's just being too honest. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, Mark, another issue that's brought up aside from wars and things like that is suffering in the world. Uh, How do you address that? That there's evil and suffering inside the world? Oftentimes when this question is raised, there's, there's one of two things. Right? One, it's a theological question. The other one, it is a personal uh, dilemma. When the question is asked, you know, what, why is there evil and suffering inside the world? We can't be so quick to philosophize on the person. It's not maybe philosophy, but personal, that they're, maybe they're going through something and so they're not looking to see... Uh, whether or not there is an answer to this problem, but do you have a heart for me in the midst of this problem? Do you care, you know, kind of what is going through? It's like the atheist had asked God, you know, where, where, or asked the pastor, where was God when my son died? And the response from the pastor was the same place uh, when his son died, he was sitting on the throne. He was ruling in his reign, ruling and reigning. He knows what you're going through, mm. right? But uh, we, we have to remember that with an atheist, the best that they have is a relativistic point of view. Relativism is the philosophical position that all points of view are equally valid, that there is nothing that ups the other. You know? So what may be right for one person could be wrong for the next, and what could be wrong for the next person could be right for the next. Uh, yeah, so when we start dealing with suffering... You know, it's our ultimate answer is I don't know why the innocent suffer. I don't know. I mean, why doesn't Christ just come back? I know Peter tells us that he is not willing for any to perish, but that all come to repentance. I often will say that God's given you a chance to repent. I'm sorry you're going through what you're going through, but you also have to remember that you have caused others to suffer. When you have broken his law, when you lied and when you stole, when you commit adultery, when you do these things, these are not. Uh, just an internal, I'm the only one affected sort of sin. Sin, any any private sin is an open spectacle in heaven, right? God sees everything that we do. We treat it like a cream puff, but really we need to be treating it like a rattlesnake. And atheists in all places at all times must realize and recognize that mankind through that moral 
choice that they're also the cause of somebody else's suffering inside of their life. Um, when we start, start talking about atheists, you know, the French poet Baudelaire, I think he said, uh, um, how can you talk about a loving God as I kneel at the bed of my dying child, mm. right? So don't tell me that God cares about my child as I see her pass from time on into oblivion. You know, um, there was a, an apologist that responded and said, well, I'm just curious, what does the atheist Baudelaire say to uh, his little daughter as she dies? Do you look into her eyes and you say, tough luck? Right. That's the way the ball bounces. Because as an atheist, that's all you've got. Yeah. Right. Well, that's a really good point because Christianity is the only way in which we can validate our suffering. Exactly. Because if you look to the atheist and you have a loved one that passes away, we're just bubbling goo. Yeah. Survival right. of the fittest. It's just a process. And why are you longing for something more? Yeah. Right? If you look at Buddha, uh, our suffering is simply a gap between what we have and what we want. And if you stop wanting, then you stop suffering. But Christianity is the only way where we discover the reason why we, we feel the pain and the sorrow of a loved one passing away is because there is an image-bearing quality in the Imago Dei that is printed upon them, and God has given us a transcendent love and relationship with that person. And so we feel the loss and the longing for a heaven where loss is no more. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And what is the problem like we talked about in terms of the problem of evil, even with suffering, what, what's, what is it that makes you sense that we shouldn't suffer? Um, it's because there's something in you that says this world is broken yes. and it shouldn't be like this. Yep. And also in part, we obviously do know why, we, why people suffer. It goes back to the curse. The fall. The fall, right? God cursed this, this, this creation in, in the fall. And from that, we know that there's going to be suffering and pain and death and all of that. You so know? suffering substantiates the truth of Scripture. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and someone might ask. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I think that that brings somebody to a point where they'll say, well, then if God, if God is so powerful and in control, then why won't he do something about the suffering? And he and did do something the about answer, the suffering. That's exactly right. But still, he, isn't that a legitimate argument for many? I mean, we really can't justify in our own minds why God allows... I'm thinking of just suffering. I spoke to a woman on the phone the other night that just has left me heavy for the suffering mm -hmm. she's going through. And uh, there's the dilemma of why doesn't God just do something? And yet, I love what Spurgeon said, faith may swim where reason may only paddle. Mm -hmm. And so we conquer stuff like that. But I think someone without faith, that's a legitimate a question one. to ask. Right. And there's comfort in knowing that he has something. He has done something. Right. He sent his son to die on the cross so that one day all suffering would come to an end. Amen. And here's the amazing thing about that too, is that God is not just a God who stands over and above suffering. He's the God who has suffered. Yeah. He has suffered on our behalf. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's been often said that evil is a privation, right? And and when you when you remove um, when you remove light, right, darkness results. Darkness is not something. It's the absence, absence of something. Of right? The same thing with cold. Cold is not something. It's the absence of heat. The more heat you remove, the more cold results. And so the, these things exist, but again, it it, um, it it 
goes to show that um, there's a reason why we recognize it shouldn't be this way. And so we ha- we live in a world that's fallen. We live in a world that's cursed. And we also live in bodies with brains that are so limited. We have no clue how limited they are. Right. The only way I can relate that is to, to try to understand what it's like to explain to a little child why he can't put his hand in those beautiful, dazzling, colorful flames. That's good. That baby cannot come. When you pull it away, what does it do? It screams its head off because there's no way it can comprehend that this is not good for it. And we expect with these brains that we don't even fully understand yet to understand the God that formed them Mm -hmm. and his ways, it's beyond us. And in the end, we got to conclude that there is no argument that will ever win out against God. Mm. You can say, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. It's not fair. It's not right. The one thing you can be guaranteed of is you will always be wrong. So yeah, wisdom good. says, stop it. That's good. Recognize what God has revealed. And Oscar, you nailed it. God did enter the suffering right. of this world in the person of Christ. There's this powerful piece. I don't recall if I've read it before on, on any of the podcasts, but it's called The Long Silence. And it talks about this group of people that gathered together on the day of judgment on a big plane to, to bring their case against God. Let him be born through an illegitimate birth. Let him suffer. Let, hi, the, you know, let him experience what it was like to be uh, spat upon and mocked and ridiculed and tortured. And then let him die. Let him die a death that, that, that no one has died. And you know, and it says, and, and as each person began to give their part of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the crowd. And then it says, but then suddenly there was a long silence for all realized that God had already served his sentence. That's good. And it's, it's so powerful because that's what he did. He became a man, entered our world to save us and redeem us and to end all of this. And, and to restore what once was. Mm. And so I think it, it's huge to, to remember that and, and to, um, to understand that God has provided the solution. We can fight, we can argue, we can rationalize, we can philosophize. But even as we're doing all that, all of those are indicators that we were made by God. What is thinking? What mm. is reasoning? What, what is rationalizing? What, what is the sense of, justice and right and wrong what's the ability to articulate these things we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that should lead us to a place of brokenness and repentance man that's so good you know something that we're doing right now something that you just did is you you just poetically carved out a proclamation right and i think that's so important because um as we go online i think one of the challenges that we have as people who love to proclaim the gospel as evangelists is that we tend to, by accident or a default, um, use logic and reason to try to save people. We, I mean, there's no shortage of, of debates, um, of facts, uh, of ways of understanding presupposition, which is all in the head to bring people to a saving faith. But as we, we are kind of talking about is ultimately there needs to be a transformation of the heart. No. We need to cause people to hate their sin. Well, no, we can't. 
What we need to do is help people understand how they could hate their sin and love Christ. And uh, Mark and I were talking at lunch a while back, and I told him I almost want to create this like new form of evangelism um, called theopoetic apologetics. Theopoetic meaning it's theologically sound, but that second part, poetic, it's beautiful. Because if we argue from a place of just logic and reason and presuppositions, we're not causing their loves to change. The way you just spoke will woo somebody into the reality of who God is and what he has done for them. It can transform the hearts. And so to anybody who's just thinking of, you know, we started out this way, if like their atheist friend or family member, and they're like, man, they're just so full of ideas um, pray for their hearts and aim for their loves mm. because when they find God beautiful, when they find him glorious, they will, they will by the grace of God, humbly repent and come to a saving faith. Mm. And friends, that's coming from a former atheist. Excellent atheist. Who came to know Christ and what hope that gives. And, you know, Ray, the, the joy has been throughout the years, especially on our YouTube channel, you've seen dozens of posts or comments of people saying they were atheists and ended up coming to Christ and, and repenting. And what a wonderful thing that, that, that God has done that. And I'm, I'm so blessed that God has given you a heart for atheists because we've seen how many have been impacted and the following you have you know, with atheists, every time you post something on your Facebook page, you get like a hundred comments from atheists, you know. That's because they've got nothing else to do. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's been wonderful to see. And The atheist delusion, we forgot to mention that. Too. Yeah. So we have the atheist delusion movie that is extremely powerful. You could check that out. Um, you can, you can uh, pass that on to other people. Ray, you wrote a book called uh, The uh, God Doesn't Believe in Atheists. What's the subtitle? Proof the atheist doesn't exist. That's right. Yes. Yeah, and and we also have the atheist test gospel tract, right? That people can give to atheists for their favorite cover. Yeah, <laughs> and you can get that at livingwaters.com. And so make sure, friends, to check those resources out and to not give up hope for those that may be resistant uh, and and who are tenaciously resisting the reality of God. Remember you have the truth on your side and the fact that they know God exists. They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and you just need to bring them the light of the gospel. So make sure to do that. And uh, remember to, again, check out livingwaters.com for our resources. Make sure to uh, share the program with others and to rate the program. Um, Ray, what are you pointing at? Evidence Bible. That's got a lot about atheism, isn't it? Yes, it does. Prove it. Evidence Bible. (laughs) With that beautiful magnifying glass going onto a thumbprint that says inside it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which was my idea. Uh, Does it really say that? Yeah, you know that. You didn't know that, Ray? (laughs) 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 Okay, friends, there you have it. Thanks for joining us. See you next time here on The Living Waters. Ray doesn't even know what's on the cover of his own Evidence Bible podcast.
Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters Podcast.